All right, Casey here. Welcome back to another episode of Bible Talks. We are in our series um, on end times, uh, and we have with us uh, Jamie Pridgen, and uh, we are talking specifically today about the rapture. It's it's probably one of the the, the most in, intriguing subjects about the end times, and it's the thing that kind of everybody has some um, idea um, about. Uh, a lot of us uh, grew up watching uh, the Left Behind series or reading the Left Behind series, and so we kind of have an idea of what this rapture thing is. Uh, but Jamie, uh, here's if you'll just do me a favor, if you'll tell us what is the rapture, where is it found in the Bible, and then we're going to use that as our, our jumping off point for the episode. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> we, we discussed this a little bit in the last session, but, um, but to kind of go a little further into it, um, so uh, again, the rapture, the term rapture is not necessarily found in the Bible, it's found in the Latin Bible, um, but it, it, in the English Bible, it just means caught up, and it's found, in, in, and specifically when people refer to it, they're referring to First uh, Thessalonians 4, but there's the, the, same, I, the same theology is, is brought into some other passages, such as 1 Corinthians uh, 15, right? Okay. So those seem to be the, some of the two major passages, although there are many passages that have it by, by inference. It, okay. it's, it's kind of connected in where it's connected into the, the idea of, with the resurrection of the dead and those kind of ideas. Um, and so that, those are the kind of the main places. Um, and so, uh, the, first Thessalonians, first Thessalonians four. four, which I want, well, I could read it. Real yeah, quick. that'd be great. So, um, Paul in first Thessalonians four, starting verse 13, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now he's not talking about people that are taking naps. He's talking about people that have died. Right. Mm-hmm. In the same way with Jesus went in to raise the girl from the dead and he said, she's only sleeping, but she was dead. Right. Right. He says, that's just a, a euphemism for, for death here. He said, I don't want you to be concerned as those who have fallen asleep. No, talking about believers that have died previously, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Right. And so, he says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Mm. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up okay. together. That's the word rapture okay. in the Latin. It says, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so Paul is, is sharing about what's going to take place at the coming of the Lord, which throughout his other times when he's talking about, he's always talking about, when he talks about the coming of the Lord, he's always talking about the second coming of Christ, right. that final coming which in the, the 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 next book he actually says happens when the Lord also comes in judgment. I mean, he, he mm-hmm. ties them together that the coming of the Lord is the coming of judgment. Second Thessalonians, he says, he says not concerning the coming of the Lord and our gathering together to him, the same thing. Yeah, not they're tied together. Everybody. Yeah, and he yeah. says he said that, that, that it'll also be the time when the Lord comes and destroys the man of sin. So it's these the, the two are together, the time of judgment the, the time and the time of the gathering together to him are the same coming. Gotcha. So... He says um, that at the coming of the Lord, those who have, who have fallen asleep in Jesus and those who have died previously in, the, in, in Christ will come back with the Lord. And so um, that seems to mean you know, that their, their spirits who have gone on to be with the Lord, to be absent from their bodies, to be present with the Lord, when they come back, their spirits are coming back with them, and their bodies that have gone into the earth, into the ground, that have decayed, will be reconstituted and caught up together. They'll go up, those dead bodies will go up and meet their spirits with the Lord in the air and receive 
the glorified body, which is going to be referenced in First Thessalonians, First Corinthians, okay. the way that changes. And then we that are alive and remain that didn't die will then be caught up together with, right after them, and all of us together will meet the Lord in the air. All right, as He's coming back. And so that is the catching up. The catching up is the way that we're translated to the Lord at His coming. So, so the idea is that that it's not it's not that we're all going up to heaven. It's the Lord is coming down, and we're going up and meeting with Him in the air. It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily in that passage tell us where we're going. It just tells us how we're meeting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That so. makes okay. That makes total sense. Now, if if you um, are a little bit in the know, what you just said may seem a little scandalous. Right, because you just put the rapture with the second coming in the same event, which, to be fair, the Bible seems to do that every time. However, that's not what I was taught. Right, right. What I was taught is the rapture is a completely different event that takes place uh, either seven or three and a half years. Right. I was taught seven years. Right. Um, seven years before the second coming. That there's almost this, you know. Second coming part A, where mm. Jesus comes and meets us halfway, we are snagged up out of here, then everything gets bad for seven years, and then Jesus comes back all the way, right? right? So the second coming uh, is, or the final coming, right, is is completely separate from the rapture. Right. But you didn't say that. What you just said is, actually, when when the Bible clears, clearly lays it out, 1 Thessalonians 4, um, 1 Corinthians 15, they're one thing. It's the gathering together and the coming of the Lord. Right, right. Okay, so that, I think, is a really helpful distinction because we're going to talk through the kind of major theological positions on this idea of being caught up, because there's a lot of... There's a lot of... Um, there's, just, there's a few different thoughts on it. Um, I had one thought coming in uh, right. to our environment before really giving myself to study, um, and it was this idea that, uh, you know that there's a pre-tribulational rapture, right? In other words, the rapture takes place pre-before the tribulation. Then there's the mid-tribulation that maybe there's some people who think that the rapture takes place halfway through Mm -hmm. the tribulation. Then there are the post-tribulation, which is what we would be, which is the, I I believe that's what we call it, right? Where, Where the second coming and the gathering up to him are all the same event that takes place after the tribulation, right? Right. So if you'll do me a favor, if you'll break down those a little bit more, yeah. um, I want to talk specifically, if you'll circle it back to pre-tribulation, because I really want to find out, hey, why? what's the major difference between pre-tribulation, post-tribulation? Why don't we believe pre-trib? And, and just kind of go from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's lots of different views. I mean, uh, it relates to the rapture, even from people that just don't even believe there is going to be one, though it's really unclear how they... they they answer the question if there's a physical second coming, then what happens to us? Mm-hmm. But um, the uh, so the the main camps would would be, and you said it just now. You said it would be pre-trib, uh, post-trib, and then there's also a camp that's a lot smaller called we would call mid-trib. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's not as not as prevalent as the other two. Um, the I say this: the historical view of the church for the first eighteen hundred years of Christianity was a post-tribulation rapture. In fact, you cannot find any writings from anybody that talks about a a a secret coming prior to the final coming, the the the, the, the what we call the second coming yeah. of the Lord that was separated, where the church got out of here before the the uh, time of trouble took place. 
In fact, what you'll find if you go back and read the 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 early church fathers, the guys that were discipled by the disciples on up, um, they, they all talked about the church being prepared and ready to suffer persecution under the hands of the Antichrist, mm. and that we would be waiting for the return of the Lord. And and so the question is, how did where did they learn this teaching if they were all discipled by the disciples? And where That's did the point. disciples learn their teaching? Well, they obviously learned it from from Jesus. And so the if they were wrong, that means they all that means within one generation, everybody abandoned the the teachings of Christ. If he right. was truly pre pre trip, so that's that's a real that's a real problem. And so, it, and it's, it's sometimes even admitted by uh, pre tribulation theologians that this was never taught. This was some new revelation that was given around the eighteen into the seventeen hundreds into the eighteen hundreds, uh-huh. which I think is a problem. So that we, so that, that right there though is like a huge deal, and that was one of my that was one of my big kind of almost theological convert moments where I was right. like, oh, wait a second. I didn't even know early church fathers existed, right? <laughs> so so there's a lot of people out there. When they say, when you hear that, mm-hmm. they're, you're, they're like, well, even the early church fathers. Like, right. So so just, I, I know you said it brief, but I, I want to go back to that point. There are, there are um, in the same manner that we have writings from the disciples of Jesus, Right, right. Letters that we have canonized into the Bible. Right, right. The New Testament. So, so we have Paul's letters, we have Peter's letters, we have John's letters. Right. In the right. same way that we have their letters, we also have letters and writings and books written by their disciples. Right. Right. So the guys, uh, give me some examples of who they might be. Um. Well, you get Barnabas. You go. Uh, a little bit further, you go into let's say um, uh, Irenaeus, Ignatius. So this guy, these like Ignatius and 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 um, or Irenaeus was actually discipled by Polycarp. Polycarp was a direct disciple of John. So think of this through: John the so Beloved, John, yeah. John, who wrote Revelation. Yeah. They were all trying to figure out what the heck he's talking about. Uh-huh. Discipled Polycarp. Polycarp turned around and discipled Irenaeus. Irenaeus right. actually saw John preach when he was a boy. Wow. Okay, so he actually sat under his teachings a little bit right before John died. So how do we know that? He, t- he tells us. He tells us. Yeah, so he, we have he, his writings. He, he actually his said, books. He goes, I was there. I was with him. I saw the man. I, I sat under his teachings. Yeah. Um, and, he, you know, and then, of course, Polycarp talks about Arrhenius. Arrhenius talked, I mean, they, they, they were clearly connected. And Arrhenius said, he goes, he goes, we got our theology from the well. He goes, we got it directly from John and from the, the apostles. And this is what they taught us related to eschatology. And he's yeah. very clear that the, that the, that the church would go through the tribulation, they would suffer in the hands of the Antichrist, many of them would be martyred, they were to persevere to the end, and that Jesus would return at the end of that time of tribulation, and it would set up a kingdom for a thousand years, they called it the Holy Seventh Day, mm-hmm. and it would and it would rule for a thousand years on the earth, and what we refer to as the millennium, and uh, and this was, this, was, this was clearly taught for the first nearly 200 years, with only that we know of really one detractor from this, everyone mm-hmm. else taught this very this very theology. And uh, the one I'm talking about is or- St. Origen, Origen, who yeah. seemed to have... It wasn't necessarily he disagreed with the idea of linear, he just disagreed with the, the literalness of it. Yeah. And so And he set up a... Anyway, I won't go into all that. But basically, um, so this was the theology. Now, the, the, after the year 200, the, 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 even the idea of the timing of what we call the rapture, that was never in question for the first 1,800 years. That was believed by pretty much every camp. Yeah. The, the, they did question about the timing of the millennium. Right. And that's where that's where around 300 AD range that that began to d- diverge into the timing of when the millennium would take place. Right. But the idea of when the church in relation to a time of trouble would take place of being caught caught up that was always in a post tribulational sense mm-hmm. that, that would take that would happen. And so, um, so why is it so important to you? Uh, and I, again, I know the answer to this because yes. it's marked me. But why is it so important to you that we go back and look at the church fathers versus 
some of the you know yeah. really wise theologians of the 1700s, 1800s. Well, because so the the idea that you and I, who everybody's looking at the same passages, trying to figure out what they were they were talking about, but we're doing it nearly two thousand years removed from that time period, and we're getting our information from other guys who lived nineteen hundred years removed, right? Eighteen hundred years removed, and. And we're all trying to figure out what they meant in their culture, in their context, and, and under their teachings, and and we're all we're we're guessing. We're trying to figure it out. We're doing the best we can. I get it. But I think sometimes it's helpful to go back, and it doesn't mean they were right about everything. But if there's unanimity, there's there's a congruency amongst many of them. And in this case, on the topic of eschatology, it's a hundred percent of those that talked about it. Not everybody talked about eschatology, but those that did talk about it, yeah, they were uniformed. On these points, yeah, that the the tribulation would happen at, at the end of the, I mean, the the second coming would happen at the end of the tribulation. That would also care, the gathering of the saints would take place together at that time, yeah. followed by a millennium. The, so the question is, is where did everybody get the same teaching from that lived directly after the disciples? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? That, yeah. that were taught by these guys. The what well, that was, Jude said. He goes, "It's our job as the disciples to hand down the faith that was once for all trusted to us." So did they do a good job of that or not? Right. And if they did do a good job of it, then we could see we would see that teaching prevalent, prevalent. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. If they didn't do it, that means that their first generation disciples all abandoned the pre-tribulation doctrine and all went post-trib That's and right. abandoned all. And, and that means the apostles were terrible teachers. That's right. They didn't disciple that next group. They all abandoned. Now, do, but what we'll find is that throughout the course of history, the abandonment of, of the apostolic gospel began to change and it began to shift, and for many different reasons. Yeah. And um, and then specifically this doctrine of the idea that we get out here early, that didn't show up to nearly 1,800 years after yeah. that time. And, you know, do they have Bible verses on it? Yes. Could you could you see it this way? But it's similar to what you said. You had to first have the lens, and then you could read back into it. Right. There's still a lot of problems with it, you know? I mean, like yeah, a lot of problems. Tons of okay, problems, yeah. but... Um, and I want to, I want to just say this for those listening, like I honor a lot of these guys, like some of these guys are really studied. I mean, they, they, and they got their stuff together and they, and they, and they've, they thought things through. They're not idiots. I mean, yeah. some of them are really bright and they've, and they've got a real contribution to the body of Christ in, in a lot of areas, though I disagree with them on these, these points. It's not like the whole of their work is garbage, right? you totally. know? Um, and, and so, you know, we want to value that and honor that and, and, and really understand that, 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 you know. That, that though we disagree on this point, it's not necessarily a deal breaker related to Christianity or fellowship. Absolutely. So anyway, yeah. So so what you're saying is though that's a, that's a huge point, right? Like like the people who we value the most in today's Western Church, um, in in I would say are we tend to think of Charles Spurgeon, we tend to think of Luther, right? Calvin, um, right. Wesley, right? You're you know you're maybe your your big hitters, right? Chesterton, right. all those guys, and we look at those sometimes. Honestly, I always looked at those guys as like our church fathers, right? Because it seems like they're so far away, but they're in the grand scheme of things still right. seventeen hundred years, eighteen hundred years removed, right? You know, sixteen hundred years, whatever, removed from the time of Jesus and the early teachings Correct. of the disciples. And so, what you said to me, I remember, was really helpful. You said, "Hey, I I want to get as close to the source material." As possible, right? And if I have access to read what Polycarp taught, and right. I have access to read what Arrhenius taught, why wouldn't I read what they say about it? Right. And I was like, "That's brilliant, right?" I mean, that's just it's telephone game to a degree. Yeah. As you're, as you know, eighteen hundred years, two thousand years later, and these guys, not not everything they said was was awesome. A lot of it's hard to understand. 
I mean, mm. just be honest with you. If you go read Against Heresies by Arrhenius, his first four books, it's like, oh my gosh, it is a not a page turner. You're yeah. like, man, it's, it's tough sledding. And some of these guys are. But then there's there are things that, that you see, okay, he said this, and that's exactly what this guy said. That's exactly what this guy And you start realizing these all guys were, there were certain points that they were like, this is this is all we're uniformed on this. We've yeah. got we've got a real clarity, and I, I just I just say I think it's good to pay attention to that. Does it mean they could have been wrong? Yeah, they could have been wrong. Absolutely. Um, that's not how we build. That's not, right. Polycarp's letters is, is we we don't say that that's the right. word of the Lord exactly. And I'm not yeah. and I'm not building my theology off off of them. I'm just saying if we're in a disagreement about what something meant, and we're both looking at the same text, and the guy that was discipled by John says it was this. And he said John told him that. It's like, well, I mean, you know, he's that's probably got <laughs> he's probably got a better shot at it than I do. You know, what I'm saying. Right. I mean, I'm just saying. Like, Gosh, that's I, like, so helpful. We, we should value that. It's yeah. not. Does it? Is it? Is it? I mean, it has to be no. But but there's some there's some yeah. validity to it. That's super helpful. So so I was that, that I mean that's what I was taught right. So uh, I was taught the whole pre tribulation rapture, which is essentially this: the church gets out of here before anything bad happens. And I was taught that under the guise of well, everything bad is the wrath of God, and we're saved from the wrath of God, so it's, you know, therefore, we just must right. not be here. You'll hear arguments like, um, uh, one of the big ones, I, I know you know it, is, well, uh, in Revelation, after, I think it's Revelation 4, the church, the word church is no longer mentioned. Right. It's, from that point on, only referred to as God's elect, so therefore, there must be a clear distinction between elect and church. Right. And there's all kinds of, you know, um, uh, reasons that your pre-trib people will, will use right. pre-trib. What I have found is that very little of it is actually clear Bible text, sure. just expositional, this means this. You know, it, it, so help me understand. Give me broad overview, what's pre-trib, broad overview, what's mid-trib, broad overview, what's post-trib, like yeah. two sentences on each. So, again, the pre-tribulation rapture doctrine, the idea that we, we, we get out of here, generally seven years prior to the, the what we call the second coming, okay. they, still, they would still call it the second coming at the end, it's just this is a. Uh, yeah, it's like a, we we would look at it, my God, that sounds like a third coming, and, and technically kind of is, but yeah. but but then to be honoring to the position, it's not. It's that they actually would say that it's a it's a it's a it's an appearing of the Lord in in the sky to rapture the church away to heaven for approximately seven years, and some people differ. Is it seven years or just four seven years? There's difference there, but seven years ish prior to where we go and we experience the marriage supper, we're there with the Lord, and that. You know the great the tribulation, all the bad stuff in Revelation begins to hit the earth of the people that were left behind, um, and uh, th- that though they're they're because the Revelation talks about saints on the earth during that time. So so what do you do with that, right? Mm-hmm. How can there be if we're all gone? How can there be saints? So then that infers the idea that somehow people are getting saved on the earth during that time and are coming to the faith in the midst of absolute hell. I mean, just you know, a difficult time, and that. The Lord then comes back at, at the end and destroys the Antichrist, and we come back with him, and he sets up his kingdom. You know, and okay. it, it's, they're still premillennial in their in their in their view, right? The idea that Jesus' kingdom comes after that time. Yeah. Okay, so, so that's pre-trib, and then right? yeah, and mid-trib is a is is a it's 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 a version of I'll say it this way, it's it's a kind of a version of trying to hold both realities the 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 the, the, the areas where they see the the. Um, the holes in the pre-tribulation argument uh, related to uh, suffering and, and those kind of things. And so they, 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 they're able to hold the values of that. So it gives us a certain bit of time where the church goes through suffering and trials and tribulation. But then we're actually then caught up to the Lord before the 
hard labor comes for the most difficult form of the economy. abomination of desolation yeah so, so, to speak, so, so to speak right three that, and a half that time period. period yeah and so they we go through a portion of the tribulation um and and, and i think it's not real clear because there's there's people within uh that camp like van camp and different ones that believe this that, that, that they kind of differ a little bit on the details of when and how so it's not it's not super like it's not as I would say it's not as clear as a pre-trib or post-trib in the sense of like it being kind of like this is you can glue this one down, this one happens here, this one happens here because there's a lot of variation yeah. in between that, um, and and some good thoughts because they're you know they're they're they, the way they, they treat Revelation chapter six, uh, the uh, six uh, seal and and different ideas. There's there there's some there's some valid ideas that they bring forth. There's that and like I said without throwing water and everything because it's too but. There's some challenges. Some of the same challenges that they run in with the separation of the second coming from the the uh, the uh, glorification the of the church yeah. is they run into some of the same verses that are problems for that. Yeah. And so, in the same way, they get hit with the same issues that pre-trib gets hit with because they try to separate those two realities and they have a, a, a final second coming that's still separate from the appearing of the Lord in the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the the, the post-tribulational view. Which, which was, is which, what we hold which, to. Which, we hold, which is what the, the, the historical ancient church held to. I mean, they right. were very clear about this. They were called Chiliast, is what they were called. Yeah. And uh, and 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 yeah, Chile is meaning a thousand. They, 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 the thousand years was going to be a future, and they all held to this idea that trouble would happen at the very end. The church would would find relief in the, at the second coming of Christ. And so, um, so it's the well, it's why it's called historic premillennialism. Mm-hmm. That's actually the name of post tribulational rapture doctrine. It's called historic premillennialism. And it's the historic view of, of the ancient church. And so uh, it's the idea that the church would go through the time of trouble, time of suffering. We would be purged through it. We would be made white. We would be refined through it um, and would eventually, um, uh, you know, find rest at the time of the second coming of Christ when he returns and he glorifies the church and destroys the wicked and it sets up his kingdom on the earth. And so the some of the, there's, 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 there's pause. Let's think about it. Even like with some doctrines that are not necessarily what we agree with, there's still elements within it that are, that are there's truth elements that the Lord even uses. I mean, there's yeah, people. Totally. There's people that have gotten saved off the message of "Be ready, Jesus could return tonight, any moment. You never yeah. know when He's going to show up." And that sense of urgency. Well, there, there is actually some biblical precedent for urgency and 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 awaiting totally, and, uh, and totally looking. So that message actually got people saved. And in the same way, the, the but at the same time, there's, there's been negative things related to the the post tribulation camp where there's yeah. been people that have kind of relegated. Well, it's all going to hell. You know what I mean? Like like and not they they haven't. Engaged, yeah. you know, what I'm saying yeah. with with the culture um, that say maybe a post millennialist does, and and so, um, so anyway, yes, yeah, so, but those are kind of the the main at least rapture views that are there. Uh, that probably too much prevalent being pre and and post, but there is there is a, there is the mid as well that's that's kind of mixed in. Yeah, um, and so uh, we believe obviously in post tribulation rapture. Now, people get maybe a little bit confused with that is that. We without going into all the details right now, we would actually believe that the rapture takes place at the seventh trumpet of Christ, mm-hmm. which is just prior to the bold judgments. But it's still at the end of the time, times and a half a time. It's still yeah. at the end of the three and a half years of, of Jacob's trouble. So it's still post tribulational, but it doesn't mean there's no more uh, difficulty after the tribulation. At least for the the because the bulls are specifically against the throne of the beast. That it's the way the Lord begins to destroy the Antichrist Empire that culminates at what we would call Armageddon or Battle of Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think that's a that's a really fun point, and um, uh, we will hit that actually when we go through seals, drums, and bowls because that's that's a really important piece. Right. Um, the hard part about this is we're doing this in segments, trying to tackle a subject in each episode, but each there's going to be so much crossover and bleed over because yeah. everything's tied together. Um, we're over here talking about seals, trumpets, and bowls. Yeah. 
as we're talking about the rapture, um, there's another example that I, I think is important for us to delineate the real quick would be um, we're, we're talking rapture viewpoints, but we keep bringing up this idea of millennialism, right? We'll say historic premillennialism or postmillennialism. Right. And, and the, the difference, I think, for people who are listening who maybe don't have a grid for it, it, it is important. We covered in the overview that there's a 1,000-year period um, on the earth where Jesus is here, he's reigning, we're, we're reigning with him, and um, that we're, we're calling that the millennium. Mm-hmm. And so there's this idea that um, Jesus comes back before and then reigns for two thousand or for a thousand years, right? right? Comes back before at the very beginning of that millennium. There's the idea that he doesn't come back at all, and then there's this idea that he comes back at the end, right? right? That would be millennialism. We'll do a whole episode on that. But what we're talking about, I just want to be clear, is actually the the rapture doctrine, not even the millennium mm-hmm. doctrine, although they're so closely tied together. Yeah, right. And so we would say that the post-tribulation rapture viewpoint is, which is what we believe, that there is a tribulation, the great tribulation, we hit, we come, Jesus comes back at the end of that, we're caught up together with him, there's a little bit of time frame we'll talk about later with the seals, trumpets, and bowls. Right. And then the millennial reign happens. So we are post-tribulation, right. pre-mill. Yeah, exactly. Um, or as you would call it, it's all tied together when you say historic premillennialism. Right, right. Okay, yes. that's that's helpful. Yeah. So so what are some of the reasons uh, that we are... I don't know, could, could you give clear Bible on why we are post-tribulational rapture? Yes. Um, so a couple things. Um you guys remember when, when, I, when I said earlier, we read the passage in 1 Thessalonians when he says, and we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. You guys remember in our very first session, we talked about how Paul, three weeks, preaching to the Thessalonians, and he goes away and he gets persecuted. Acts 17. He writes them letters, right? Mm-hmm. And so when he writes them a letter and he talks about the coming of the Lord, and he said, he goes, this is stuff I taught you, I was with you. It meant something, right? What was the coming of the Lord, right? And then he lays it out here. The coming of the Lord is that when he comes back, the dead in Christ rise first, and then we who are alive are caught up together with him, mm-hmm. right? So, in other words, the coming of the Lord there can't, it has to mean something consistently. It can't be like, when I say coming of the Lord, I meant, I meant this coming. And then when I say the coming of the Lord again, and I don't give any other reference to it, I'm now meaning a completely different coming. How would you know? You wouldn't know what... Totally, right? yeah. And, and he said, I've taught you all these things. And then, so the first Thessalonians talks about, he says, we are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will be, I mean, we'll be... You know, nobody's perceived those who are asleep. We caught up together with them in the clouds. All right. So at his coming of the Lord is when we are gathered together to him. So when we go to the next book, when he writes them a letter back, he says, um, So that was first Thessalonians. That's first Thessalonians. So let's look at the next letter, so which is second letter, Thessalonians. So well, I'm gonna read two, then I want to go back to one here. But he says, he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord. That he so just he, talked about. That he just talked about. Yeah. He said it was when 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 we are when we rise with the dead saints. Yeah. Right. He says now that concerning the coming of the Lord, chapter two, verse one, coming of the Lord and our gathering together to Him. Same it's the event. Same thing. Yeah, it's the same if he's not talking event. about the same thing, then this is utterly confusing. Yeah. Because he didn't give any other definition to say he's talking about a completely different coming. Yeah. It's but so look true. what he says. He says now concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together too, and we ask you not be soon shaken either by mind in mind or by or troubled either by the spirit or by word or by letter as this from us as though the day of Christ had already come. Mm. He said it hasn't come. He says people and there were people that were saying hey he's already came. He's like no, right. he, he's, we're not no. He said he hasn't come. 
He says, let no, let no one deceive you by any means. Yeah, this is a big For that day. Now, notice that. that, that the, the, in a general way, he's saying that when you move the timing of the coming of the Lord to a different location than what the Bible prescribes, he says, that's deception. Yeah. Now, that may be harsh. I'm just saying that's what he's saying. Right. Now, as he's Doesn't mean it's damning, yeah. but it's deceiving. Yeah. He, yeah. Said, he said, this is a big deal. He goes, you need to put it in the right spot. He says... Um, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, so that he sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Mm. Okay, so <laughs> he says he says that that day, the coming of the Lord, the one he right. talked about earlier, and the gathering about. together to him, that was the rapture, mm-hmm. can't happen until at least... After the falling away, and after the son, the the, the man, the of, man sin. of sin is revealed, yeah, so good. and not just that he's revealed. How is he revealed? He's revealed by sitting in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Yeah. Okay. It's the abomination. Which, of which Daniel says, Daniel nine is the abomination of desolation, which happens at least in the midpoint of the seven years. Right. So in other words, if we're going to get out of here, we can't get out of here until at least after the Antichrist shows up. The pre-tribulation doctrine teaches that we're get, we all get out of here before. Before the Antichrist shows up and before the abomination desolation. But Paul says specifically, don't let anyone deceive you. You're not getting out of here until after that all happens. So then you go, well, maybe it's maybe it's mid-trib then. Maybe it happens then. We we, that verse could leave open mid-trib, right? Yeah. But no, he says, he goes on, and in and in verse eight, he says, or he says, do not first five says, Do you not remember that when I was with you? I, I told you all these things. He says, Now you know what is restraining that he, the Antichrist, may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. I'm not trying to go into all that. She's talking about the coming forth of the Antichrist. It says, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Yeah, wow. The, remember, the passage started off with, now concerning the coming of the Lord, right? And yeah. the gathering together to him. In other words, he just said that the Antichrist is going to be destroyed at the brightness of his coming, which he started the whole conversation off saying, now concerning the coming of the Lord and the gathering together to him. Right. In other words, that can't be two separate comings. Right. It has to be the same coming. Yeah. Or else, the, grammatically, that makes no sense. Like, it, I'm, now concerning everything I'm about to tell you about the coming of the Lord, da-da-da-da-da, and then God's going to destroy the Antichrist at the brightness of his coming. Right. You would have to assume that coming is the same one that he started the entire passage about, so which right. is the same yeah. time as the gathering together to him of the saints. So the Antichrist gets killed at the same time that he comes back to gather the saints and to, yeah. to draw it's, them to so it's all one event. It's, it's all one Clearly, event. Clearly, if it, you, you just read the text for what it is, it's exactly. all one Exactly. You can't... You can't now, let, let me just even stop there. Let me back up one chapter. Just, just listen to this, okay? So the idea that the saints all get glorified and, and raised and raptured and sent to heaven and glorified before the, 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 the uh, destruction of the wicked or before the, the final, what we call the second coming where he comes back and, and does the yeah. damage, right, is impossible. Look at, listen to this verse. He says... Um, this is First Thessalonians 2, and he says, starting verse 3, he says, Now we are bound to thank God because of you, brethren, for it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly in love and every one of you bounds towards one another, so that we ourselves boast of you among the church of God for your patience and faith and, and, and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. For you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing for God to repay with trouble those who trouble you, and to give to you who are troubled rest, 
when, so to give the church rest, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints. Yeah, it's clear. And to be admired among those who believe because of our testimony in which you believe. So he's very clear that on the day that he comes back to destroy the wicked, it's the same time that he gives rest to the church and he glorifies those who are his. Yeah. I mean, that's remarkably clear. On the day. I mean, it's like you you just separate that day and say, no, no, the the glorification of the church happens seven years before the day he destroys the wicked is completely an opposite of what that verse says. Absolutely. So then again, if we go to um, Matthew 24. Yes, I'm glad you brought this one up. So Matthew 24 is kind of like that Jesus' clearest teachings on the subject of the end times, when they said, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, pre-tribulation would say that there is no signs needed for the coming of the Lord. He could appear right. at any moment, any time, right. without warning, Even anything. the night. But when they asked him, they said, what will be the sign of your coming and of the age? He then gives signs, like tons of them. Yeah. All right? Well, why did he do that? All right? And he's telling that to believers, saints, right? Yeah. Who, like... They're going to be here to see the sign. He says, in fact, he says, when you see all these things, yeah. look up, your redemption draws nigh. What? Well, that doesn't make any sense if they're all going to be gone and never get to see any of these things. So if they're true. gone before the signs are there, then, then what the heck do you tell everybody to look for? Yeah. Right? He's not telling unbelievers to look for this. He's telling it to his disciples to, who are going to disciple the disciples and, to, you know, yeah. they're going to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he says, when you when you look up, you'll see your redemption draw near. And, he's, and, and what's interesting is not one time in that passage, all of his teaching, does he mention a secret coming just for the church? Yeah, a pre-second coming, second coming. He never, never, yeah. Jesus never mentioned it. And that's even admitted by a lot of pre-tribulation scholars that Jesus never taught on the rapture. Yeah. Now, some guys would disagree, but a lot of them actually say that. And of course, they say, well, yeah, it was only revealed to Paul later on as a mystery. That's what they'll say. Yeah. But the problem is, I mean, Jesus, in his most clear teaching, here's how the end of the age is going to go. He tells the church, yeah. believers, Jewish saints at that time, to look for these signs that are coming, all right? So this idea that he can come at any moment without any sign, it's just, it's not true. When you see all these things, then you know, he's very clear about that. When you see the abomination yeah. desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, when you, and he's saying this over and over again, which makes no sense if the church is going to be gone to never see any of this. Yeah. But then notice this, when he gets down to, uh, after he tells us about the great tribulation, and and, and and he talks about, you know, it's going to be the worst time ever, that God, if God had not shortened those days, no one would be saved. And then he gets to um, verse 30, 29, sorry, verse 29, and he says this, immediately after, now know the word after, immediately yeah. after the tribulation of those days. So when? Not before, but after, after the tribulation, yeah. he says, he says, in those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give us light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the son of man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a great sound trumpet, and he will gather together <laughs> his elect. Now, somebody can say, he's talking about the Jews there. Well, you gotta you got to be consistent throughout the New Testament. I mean, it's very clear the elect is always talking about the believing remnant, which is Jewish, but it's also Gentile. Yeah, totally. It says, from the four winds, that's the four corners of the earth, from one end of, of heaven to the other. Or as, as Luke says, from one end of heaven to the one end of the earth. Yeah. Just talking about the the, the the gathering of the saints in heaven and gathering the saints on the earth, which is what happens at that time. That is the gathering together of the saints. It's both those that have gone on before us and those that are currently will be alive and remain. And so Jesus' teaching, 
he only mentions a post-tribulational coming. Yeah. And this is admitted by, by even the most staunch pre-tribulationists, that, that when Jesus taught about the, his coming, he only taught about it in, in the context of a post-tribulational setting. Yeah. All right? And that's the only one he mentions. And that's a major fail, a major miss, you know what I'm saying, if Jesus didn't mention right. the idea. When he's, that, when he's hitting every sign before that. Yeah. And he's hitting the things after that. And he's telling the church to look for these signs. Yeah. That, 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 that Theoretically, if there's pre-tribulation, then none of them would be here for anyway. Yeah. And so the only people it could potentially be good for are people that get saved. Maybe Who after find the Bible, dust it off, yeah, or something like that. However world. the story goes. And I want right. to be fair, because I don't know if that's still the, the, the narrative. But, you know, that's, that's, that's yeah, something like that. And... And so it's just, it's, it's awkward to, 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 to try to stick a, a, and what's interesting is the very, and we'll talk about this later, but the very passage we talk about, you know, no one knows the day of the hour yeah. is in context to what he just said, which yeah, only, I think this, I think this is the time to talk about it, right? Okay. This idea, I think that's really important. There is this idea, this verse, um, that, that Jesus says that you just referenced, right? right? That Jesus will, nobody knows the day or the hour and people will talk about it as if, it's literally like a thief in the night, right? Right, and they'll use the idea of, of imminence, right? This they call the doctrine of imminence that Jesus could come at any moment, at any given point that we could be, you know, in the middle of our wedding ceremony. All of a sudden, Jesus takes us out of right. here without any kind of sign or passage, right? Is that is that kind of what you're referencing? Yeah, and so so the idea is that there, that Jesus could come back without any signs, any which undermines everything he just said in Matthew 24. Literally. So when they what say, "What are the signs well, coming?" and then he gets spits off like tons of signs. And then he says, no one, that day, that hour, no one knows that now he's referring to him coming back without any signs. It's it's super forced because it makes no sense in light of everything he said. And in fact, if you read how he says it, verse 36, what we're talking about in Matthew 24, he says, but of that day, okay, that's an antecedent. You got to have an antecedent from the text. Of what day? He's got to be talking about the day he was just talking about or yeah. else that makes no sense. Uh, when he says of that day, he's referring to the day he just talked about, which the only day he talked about was the immediately after the tribulation of those days, then the sign of the Son of Man will come back in, uh, in the sky. <laughs> and so he's still talking about the second coming of Christ. Yeah. He's still talking about the final day. And so somebody says, well, because uh, the, the argument is if you if you say when you see when you see the abomination of desolation, Right, he tells him. He said, "Well, Daniel says that the abomination desolation. Once that happens, it'll be three and a half years until the return of Christ." And it gives a specific number: twelve hundred sixty days. days. And so the argument is, well, if you know when the abomination desolation happens, then you would theoretically know the day that the Lord's return. Yeah, right. That's, that's what the pre-trib that's, that's exactly. And so, the, so therefore, they say that it can't be possible because the, their idea is that no one can ever know up until it happens. But I want to just throw this couple things out: is that. That's, if you actually read in the Greek text, it never, it doesn't, it's not a, it's not a prohibition that no one can ever know the day. And in fact, that seems to be why Jesus is even addressing this. Right. He said, no one knows. And in fact, the Greek actually reads, it reads that no one has known and no one knows. It means a current state at that time when Jesus is given this message, no one knows. But that's why he gives the message for when you see the abomination of desolation then there will be great tribulation. In other words, it, it's not impossible that no one will ever know. That's not what the, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that no one has known and no one knows, but it's not saying that no one will ever know. In fact, if you read it, he actually says, no, he said, of that day and hour, no one knows, but as it was in the days of Noah, Noah right. so also will be in the days of the Son of Man. That's actually what it says. But if you think about it, in the days of Noah, God shows and appears to Noah and he said, a flood is coming, but does not tell him when the flood is coming. Right. Until the hour of the flood. It was exactly seven, seven days, days prior right. to 
the flood, the Lord appears to him and says, it says, yet in seven days the flood will come. In other words, in the hour that it was actually applicable, the Lord then gives the exact timing indicator, which seems to be what Jesus is saying. He goes, right now, no one knows, no one has known, but when you see the abomination of desolation, then you'll know. Right. And that's why he goes into this whole thing about the signs that you would know that we're in, in that time. And let, and let me throw a passage out to you. Look at Revelation chapter 3, if you if you want, if you're, I don't know if you're driving them, it'll be helpful, I'll have to read it to you, but... um. Revelation 3, and he says this. L listen to this phrase. And this is what people use all the time. So, um, you know, he says, the, it, it, Revelation 2, verse, uh, verse, verse 1, he says, These things, uh, says he who has seven spirits of God and seven stars, I know your works, that you, that you have a name, that you are alive, that you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain and are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect for God. Now look at this, verse, verse 3 says, Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, and hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. The same language Jesus uses in Matthew. He uses it over and over again. He's coming as a thief. He's coming as a thief. But every time he uses it, he's always talking about him coming upon those who are unexpected and the unbelievers. He's going to bring destruction on those that are not watching. Yeah. But he says right there, he goes, if you will not watch, I will come upon you at an hour you do not expect. So let me ask you a question. If that's what happens to the people that do not watch, the Lord comes yeah. upon what them as an hour. What do? happens to the ones uh. that do watch? He still comes upon them as a thief? No. Or that makes no sense. Then why would you even want to watch? Why, what does it matter? We're, we're going to get a thief on us no matter what. Yeah. He says, if you don't watch, he will come upon you as a thief. If you do watch, the idea is that you'll have revelation and understanding of when he's coming. In fact, that's actually what he said in First Thessalonians, the big, the big, the big uh, he'll come upon you as a thief in the night. He says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness. Yeah. So that, that, that day will come over you a thief. Yeah, that's exactly to, right. You know, to the church, the waiting and watching church, they're going to have revelation of this. Of the timing, and so I, I don't think it's reasonable to say because Jesus said in His day that it's not been known and it won't it had never been known and it wasn't known that day that it will never be known, or else why give all the signs, the timings, the indicators, and why not even mention another coming? Because He says of that day and that hour, no one knows, and that day has to refer to what He was just talking about, right. which is the only one He was talking about was a post-tribulational coming. Totally. Yeah, I think uh, now now you just spoke really really fast, and Sorry. I followed everything because okay. I'm like I'm I'm geeked out with you. But I'm going to read Matthew 24, this portion, because this is the part that we didn't read, right? But this is the, the days of Noah thing. He says, the, starting in verse 36, Matthew 24, um, But of that day and hour, no one knows, as Jesus talking, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So people use that verse to prove a pre-tribulational rapture view. Right. Because what they'll say is, be, since that verse clearly means that no one will know, mm -hmm. Therefore, there can't be any signs preceding it, because if there were signs preceding the, that right. day, well, then we would know, and it would invalidate this one verse. But he continues to say, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. So it implies that you need to know what the days of Noah were like. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and they were drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. Who's the them? Yeah. In the story of Noah, he's actually referencing the people who didn't believe Noah, right. who didn't believe the Lord. He was referencing the unbelievers. Right. Noah was not the one who was eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Noah was building an ark. Right. Noah was, was, was doing exactly what the Lord told him to do. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, all the unbelievers. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then, and I, I remember hearing this um, from a pre-tribulational viewpoint, and they used this text uh, to literally prove 
why it's pre-trip, right? Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on alert and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. He is clearly, if I'm just reading that passage and I, and I remove the blinders that, right. the, that, the, that the pre-trib lens put on me, he's clearly saying, hey, there's a group of people who will know when the thief is coming and because they're going to be on alert. Right. They're going to have their house in order. There's clearly a group of people like in the days of Noah who are doing what's right and they're not just living their life. They're actually preparing and, and, and living in provision and, and building the ark. Right. And then if you reference that, the story of Noah, you said it earlier, but, but God tells him at some point, he's like, Hey, there's a flood coming, build the ark. Right. And then seven days before the flood, it God specifically tells him, Hey, in seven days, the flood's right. going to hit. Right. And so clearly he's referencing these people who are who are just going about their life. These are not the elect. These are not the saints who are who are inquiring of the times and the seasons. Right. These are not the elect who are in their word. These are the this is the people who have fallen away or they're, or they're just unbelievers. They're just flat out unbelievers. They have no idea. Right? They're the ones mocking right. Noah, going, How you're an idiot. How could you be doing right. you know, you're focusing on all this and and, and so I, I think that's a really big thing because they. This is a doctrinal point for a lot of churches. It's called the doctrine of imminence right. that Jesus could has his, his return is imminent. It could happen at any given point, and it doesn't seem to be scriptural. Right. It doesn't seem like he could come in at any given point. Yeah. It seems like that season can happen at any given point. Right. But there's clear signs. Yeah. That, it's, that it's that it's coming. So I've got one verse I want to, want to share. Share. Um, it's Revelation chapter twenty. You guys remember when we talked about First Thessalonians four. It said, the dead in Christ shall rise first, right? And then we who are alive remain shall come together with their So in other words, the dead in Christ, those of all dead would have to get raised from the dead at least prior, right prior to our ascension to him, right? Yeah. That makes sense? So if you read Revelation 20, verse 4, okay, this is after Armageddon, all right, this is after Satan is cast into the bottomless pit, or at the same time, he's mm-hmm. cast into the bottomless pit. Verse four says, and I saw thrones and they that sat on them, the some of the saints, and judgment or, or authority was given to them. Then I saw souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and the word of God and not worship the beast or his image, nor receive the mark on their heads or on their foreheads or on their hands. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not live until after the thousand years. That's after the, that's at the great rightful judgment. He says this event of this resurrection of the dead of the of the saints to reign with Christ, and it's, and he's specifically seeing those that were martyred by the Antichrist. Right? They they did not worship the beast. They wouldn't take his mark. They were beheaded because of that. They were killed. Mm-hmm. He says this group that gets raised from the dead is the first resurrection. Wow. Because so, so let me ask you a question: If the resurrection, because the dead in Christ have to rise first, right? If the de- if the resurrection of all the saints happens in a pre-tribulation scenario, happens before the great tribulation, right? Then how do the people that got martyred by the Antichrist get raised in the first resurrection? Yeah, that's a great point. Does that make sense? So, yeah. he, in other words, if it's the first resurrection, and that re- this resurrection happens obviously after they've had an opportunity to be killed by the Antichrist, yeah. which means they can only have been raised after. The tribulation, yeah, right. 
And he calls that the first resurrection. And Paul said that the resurrection has to happen before the saints get gathered together with them. Yeah, so... so that demands that the resurrection and the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation right. after they've had an opportunity to resist the mark of the beast and to be a part of the first resurrection. The way that a lot of pre-tribulation guys interpret that is they say there's two first resurrections or two versions of the, of the first resurrection. Yeah, which, which doesn't, which make, doesn't the, make any sense. Text doesn't. The text say that. doesn't allow it, and it makes things goofy, and just does. And 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 so anyway, I, you know, I think that the and there's so many other verses we can go to, but the, I know we're kind of running out of time here. But the, there's just such a clear indication through the scriptures that the the coming of the Lord, the gathering together to Him, the resurrection of the dead are 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 three. Uh, it's all one one event with different facets of the of the same event. Yeah. And that was how it was believed from the early days, and 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 you know, and I, that's how the scriptures lay it out. Um, and and when you let, like I said, when you let the scriptures just read it to you versus seeing it through your lens. And we and listen, we all have our lenses. Yeah, that totally. we that we go into stuff with, and that, that sometimes you know, and this one for some is a real painful lens to have to have to change. Um, but I think the scriptures bear that out pretty pretty well. Man, yeah, that's 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 so rich. I so appreciate you, Jamie. Um, that's it for our episode on the rapture. Uh, we will be uh, continuing uh, in this series with, uh, I believe, the Great Tribulation. That's the next episode. We look forward to seeing you guys then. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed that conversation and that you are ministered to. Please remember to follow us and to leave a good rating on your preferred streaming platform. And if you want to learn more about gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. See you in the next episode.